The following programme contains descriptions of sexual harassment and abuse and is intended for a mature audience. Now on Documentary News Talk, producer Alan Meany explores the disparity between male and female and female identifying musicians in Ireland in Equalisation. See these lines upon my face, they're a map of where I life has settled in How do we survive Living out our lives I found myself on stage in early January 2018 and out of 17 performers I was the only woman and I basically just I was very nice. I just said, look, is there any way we could change this? Is there any way we could go about it differently? Karen Casey had had enough. She had been working in the recording industry as a traditional and folk singer for over 20 years. And she had been on so many stages where she was the only woman. It's very difficult um, because the people involved were very close to me. So it was very hard for me to do that. And then I wrote a Facebook post and asking for change. And I was absolutely overwhelmed by the response. And it was shared and so many people, like so many people came up after the gig and said, well done, that's exactly what I was thinking. And then a lot of people just said, how can I help? Karen co-founded the organisation Fair Play, which aims to achieve gender balance in the production, performance promotion and development of Irish traditional and folk music. But Karen and Fair Play were not the only ones who had enough of the inequality of the music industry in Ireland. Gash Collective, Girls Rock Dublin and the Diadem Collective are all groups that have come together to try and provide equal opportunities and balanced representation for all. We are going to hear their stories. Aoife Nikonica is from the core team of Girls Rock Dublin. I came on the last day of the first camp that we ran, which was for people who were like over 18 but under 25. That was actually so brilliant. It was just really beautiful to see all of these people. I didn't see the the, the kind of journey that they'd gone through during the week of, of learning how to write a song and forming a band with people they'd never met before and maybe playing an instrument they'd never touched before, which is kind of what happens at our camps. Uh, it's sort of like a crash course. I did see all of the joy and encouragement and everybody just coming together on the last day and being really, really supportive and everybody really just being delighted with themselves. Gash Collective is an Irish-based platform focused on supporting female-identifying and LGBTQ plus producers and DJs in the field of electronic music. Laura O'Connell, a.k.a. Lals, is one of the co-founders. biggest barrier to 
people into DJing in the first place or into music production is, you know, not knowing how to go about it or using the equipment or having access to decks. Very first workshop we did was in Jigsaw in Dublin. Um, so we hosted a CDJ skills workshop, a music production workshop, and then also uh, just how to run an events. So yeah, it was like really big success and loads of uh, people came from Dublin and around the country and actually met loads of people who have played for us since then or become like quite big DJs or music producers. So it's good to have seen their kind of career progression from their first workshop to where they are now. Are women musicians paid the same as their male counterparts? Do festivals and gigs have an even split of genders? What about sexual and physical harassment for female musicians? And how are non-binary, queer and people of colour treated within the music industry? These are all big topics, but they are important. With the Me Too movement sweeping creative industries around the world and the effects of Covid on musicians' incomes and tours, now is the time to reflect on these questions and see how things can change for the better. But let's start with the music. Music was always around in my life. My mother would have loads of different types of music on in the car, driving around. Like these days she blasts Lyric FM 24-7. That's her like thing. This is Ellen King. She's a DJ and electronic artist who records under the name of Elle. She is the co-founder of Gash Collective. So I had a lot of that like classical stuff going on, but when I was younger, my mom used to play loads of Mamas and the Papas and big 60s stuff. And my dad used to play a lot of T-Rex and stuff like that. So that was like going on all the time. And then there's like a big age difference between myself and my next two older siblings. They're both 10 years older than me. Um, so they were playing everything like when I was a kid. So like when they were going through their Oasis versus Blur phase or my sister went through a big like West Coast hip hop phase. Like I was just immersed in all of that. It was just around all the time. So I got to soak all of that up. Karen Miano is a non-binary creator, producer, writer and artist who uses the DJ name Ren. They are one of the co-founders of Diadem, an independent co-op music label and collective. The first time music meant something to me, I was maybe four and I had this cassette of The Lion King <laughs> and it was the soundtrack of The Lion King and I would listen to it religiously like morning an evening and I think it's like embedded in my my bones and my blood stream. Like at any given point if you play the Lion King, I can read like the whole the whole movie out. Even like the little noises in the background. But I know that it wasn't like the official soundtrack cassette because my mum later told me that she actually recorded it off of the VHS for me so it's like literally from tape to tape Um, and I'm sure it's not great quality but yeah I loved it. I 
I always say I'm a pop girl, which is always a bit controversial um, in these circles, but pop is the thing that hits me the hardest and my earliest memories are of pop songs that sort of made me just want to dance or sing along. Uh, I have a vague memory of mispronouncing Eternal Flame by the Bangles as Eternal Blame. So yeah, <laughs> to give you an idea. <laughs> We just heard from Sally Odunling, a singer and performer who goes under the stage name of Odu. And she's the director of Girls Rock Dublin, the first Girls Rock camp organisation in Ireland. They run camps and events aimed at growing girls' and women's self-esteem through music creation and performance. Pauline Scanlon, one of the co-founders of Fair Play, was listening to pop music as a teenager before moving into folk and traditional circles. I was about 14 or 15, I'd say, and I was always singing like, and I was, you know, at that time the buzz was getting smash hits and finding the words of something. And, you know, I had the records that I liked to listen to. And um, my mother was really good friends with Tony Small, who was a great bard and a song collector and a songwriter. And they were good friends and he lived down in Dingle at the time. And my mother said to him, would you take her and teach her some songs, you know? And so then when I was about 14, 15, that kind of way, I fell under the tutelage of Tony Small, who taught me my very first kind of extensive folk repertoire. And I began to gig with him then singing songs and harmonies like when I was maybe 15, 16. And then 16, 17, I was out in the pubs gigging like at that point. Karen Casey, who we heard at the start of the programme, has been in the music industry for over 25 years and she has witnessed the disparity in how men and women are treated. Well, you know, on many levels, I kind of just blazed a trail. I was very, I felt very lucky to have gigs at all. Um, I was often the only woman in a myriad of groups and then I would often be backstage at festivals and there would only be a couple of women. It was the norm. I think when I was had my own band, I had an amount of control. I still have my own band. And so I had, uh, I felt that people were respectful. Also, I have to say that because I toured with my husband and because I was often in charge I had uh, uh, an amount of power, I suppose. Traditional and folk music is dominated by men. And having uh, a couple of bad experiences there and then kind of a, an awakening, I think, really in 2016, 2017, around that time period. There was a lot of discussion because of the Me Too movement in America about being a woman in the arts. And I began to reframe my own experiences I began to have a few more you kind of eureka moments where I go, you know, if I would hear a woman on radio or read in the paper about people, I suppose being made to feel small. And Karen was not the only one who felt this way at that time. Pauline Scanlon. What I have noticed, I suppose, and what's really kind of coming to the surface for me lately is how still the industry punishes those who speak out about it. I think maybe that's my own community. I'm using air quotes there. But I think that 
women are very reluctant to, to speak about it or to point it out because it's those age old, really sexist tropes that are thrown at you that you're just bitter that it's not you getting the gig or you know there's there's a lot of that and a lot of the slots you know they can be quite tokenistic I do think it is changing and I do think that the movement needs more diversity as well that feminism and the activism needs to be intersectional and it needs to touch a lot more um people and heads than it actually is. So I think there's a lot of work to do, but my experience has been varied. I've also had the privilege to work with incredible men who gave me such confidence in myself as a woman in the industry to use my voice and to feel like an equal, because I think for many people, maybe you don't feel like an equal and the internalized misogyny of that makes you behave not like an equal and be more accepting of the perhaps the sexist treatment or the comments. Aoife from Girls Rock Dublin is also the bassist and one of the singers in the band Alien She. She has had very mixed experiences. The industry itself is 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 really complex. There's different levels of kind of like expectation, particularly if you're of a certain background or whatever. If you didn't have access to the same things, or maybe if you if you're female or whatever, it, it's a little less accessible, just because it's sort of been historically created by and for men. Sometimes I think it's a little unequal, and unfortunately, not everyone can see that or the people who are in it don't always see it. Sometimes it's been fantastic. Sometimes it's just been like kind of being ignored or like we have a male drummer in our band and, and like just everyone talking to him about everything technical or microphones and things and you're kind of like, it's me who's singing. You know, uh, that kind of thing can be a bit frustrating. And also I, I think that maybe there's a lot of like intimidation around like, you know, even learning this stuff. I took a home recording course myself online this year just during lockdown because I was like, I want to learn more about this stuff. I think it was good to do that just to be like, you know, Ableton's less scary now. And it's nice to be like, I actually know what I'm talking about if I'm talking to producers and things like that. Ellen had studied music production in college. She noticed put-downs and comments when she first started to DJ around the country. I didn't really start to notice the disparity in the male-to-female ratio until I was trying to start gigging and stuff like that. And then it becomes glaringly obvious <laughs> and... It's quite hard to ignore. And of course, people pass comments, uh, you know, people kind of judge your merits, why you're getting on certain lineups, this kind of thing. Oh, you must like your boyfriend must be the programmer running the venue or this, that and the other. And, you know, you start speaking to people that didn't have the same opportunity to learn production in college. And they're saying, I'd love to have a way into that. But actually, I feel like it's only guys that are doing it and I can't really ask them or they don't take me seriously. Karen Miano has had to put up with both sexism and racism as a manager of bands. They spoke over Zoom about the problems they've encountered.
management stuff, that was fine because it's all via email. And I think they'd hear the name Karen and be like, oh, you're probably some white woman. <laughs> so people weren't too intimidated and would also give me like, I guess, the authority and like respect that you deserve when you're in that position. Like they wouldn't try and question when you're saying, oh, the fee is this and we need transport and we also need like a rider. And this is what their stage setup is like. People wouldn't question it too much. But then when I moved into like being IRL, like in real life and tour managing for Bad Bones, a lot of the time it was like people thought that I was either the musician. (laughs) Uh, I've been called a groupie before. so That was fun. They just wouldn't trust that I know what I'm doing. I intentionally took a hiatus from the music industry in Ireland because it's fucking hella racist and it's not diverse. I think there's an idea that it is diverse because there's a lot of like black people within the the music industry, but they're all front facing. They're not behind the scenes. There's still definitely like microaggressions. Yeah, the scene is changing and they have not made spaces for people that look like me or people that present like me. And so what we've had to do is like create our own stuff. Definitely when it comes to our bigger exports, they are men, they are white, they tend to play guitars. If you are looking for radio airplay in this country, that's a very hard thing to find. And it does mean that you just don't tend to have the opportunity to showcase your wares. Particularly, for example, you know, I've had radio airplay before, but as many kind of smaller Irish artists will attest, this radio airplay maybe amounts to maybe one or two plays of a new single that you might have if uh, smaller regional DJs want to help you out. And they often do, which is amazing. And they should be credited for that. But if you're looking to go beyond that, um, there really is a, a wall in front of you. And it's a shame because I hear stuff all the time that I just think, wow, this would be such a great radio hit. I think when it comes to commercial Irish radio, there's a huge wall for female artists. Equal radio play is not the only problem, with festival lineups and gigs dominated by male names. Karen Casey. We just looked at a few festivals, nine festivals, from January to June, and we're at the same place as we were in 2018, in that women are still at 24, 25% of the lineups. Some of the lineups for the festivals in the summer have even less of a percentage of women. And there is just no excuse at this moment in time. We've had the conversation, we have the Fair Play have a directory up of women uh, instrumentalists and singers. We're really trying to put pressure on the Arts Council to insist on uh, gender equality and indeed uh, um, diversity. You know, I mean, there's a huge lack of diversity, particularly within traditional music. And for us to be embracing everyone that has come to our shores and also for people when they go to a gig, no matter where they're from or what their sexual orientation is, Um, that they see themselves on that stage and they believe that the art reflects the society we live in. Seeing known sexual predators still being booked for gigs has frustrated Laura. There was like a recent case there where I'm not going to name any names, but 
a club in Dublin, this very well-known international DJ was accused of sexual assault um, and admitted he sexually assaulted women at an event and yet they booked him there not so long ago. And you're kind of going, you know, it's very, very frustrating as a woman and it's like, how are you creating a safe space if you're still booking these known abusers? I mean, there's thousands of DJs and other people out there. The traditional and folk community is very tight-knit, so the potential of working with abusive musicians is a very real concern for Pauline. Somebody may assault you or harass you and then you potentially, because of the precariousness of the work, might have to go back and work with them again and potentially a second time. It's difficult to even think about going out and being around or working or watching certain individuals, you know, work with impunity, having behaved illegally. That's difficult. And I guess COVID to a degree kind of protected us from that because everything was online and nobody was actually seeing each other. But coming back to work is is actually, for me personally, a bit daunting in that respect, because these things that go up on Twitter, it's all very well to say, if you see me working with your abuser or you see me like DM me and, you know, I'll remove myself from that situation. But if I were to do that, I wouldn't work. And that's the reality of it. And I have a family and a daughter and, you know, I have a house to run like. Sexual harassment and abuse is prevalent within the music industry. And it is something that most artists have suffered or witnessed. I've seen it happen more so in like green rooms. Like things will happen backstage in green rooms or in like club spaces, gigs, things that involve alcohol. Shit, you should get fucking murky. And I think there's still a huge conversation around consent and consent culture that even though we think we're having it, we really aren't. The nuances that are involved with consent culture, I think that there's still like that sort of Irishness of being like, oh yeah, sure. Like, you know, we're very, we can be very timid around it. And I'd love to see Ireland be more sexually liberated (laughs) because I think that that would resolve some of the issues that we have with sexual assault and sexual harassment. You're listening to Equalisation by Alan Meany on Documentary on News Talk. Remember, I went to play this gig in up north somewhere. I'm not going to be too specific about it. But there was this promoter who promoted for a, a festival that I really was interested in playing. And I, I was like, hey, like, I'm playing a gig tonight. Like, if, if I'm good or whatever, if you think that I've got a shot, you know, I'd love to, to, to be able to chance to play your festival kind of thing. And he straight off the bat was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a gig if you sleep with me. Just completely. We were, we were with a group of people and they all laughed. And I was like, what? And they're kind of laughing. They're like, that's just the way he is. You know, don't worry about it. He says that to everyone. But then he proceeded to say that for the rest of the night. And it was like the joke, the like line for the rest of the night. And I was on my own. I had just like gotten a couple of buses up to play this gig. I 
was seeing myself as like a serious producer. I really wanted to play this festival that I held, like I respected quite a lot. And then this guy was just saying this one liner and he was just like not even referencing music, production, nothing. Just like, yeah, if, if you sleep with me. And I actually, I got really upset about it. And I went into the bathroom at one point that night and I was really, I was really upset. And I was like, God, you know, is this, is this kind of what it's about or whatever? And I kind of got my, got my thoughts together and went home and, but obviously it was in my head for the rest of the night. And it was a very horrible, nasty experience. Karen Casey managed to avoid some difficult circumstances by going to bed early on tour, but sexual harassment and abuse were always present. If you go to a party and if there's drink involved, which is what saved me, to be quite frank, I often had my two daughters on the tours with me and I would go to bed early. Not to say that I can't go out and, you know, tear into the drink. I'm not making myself out to be... Uh, Puritan or anything but I suppose I often had to go to bed I also felt I went to bed because I was minding my voice (laughs) so I didn't get into some situations but I did uh, a couple of nights where just the things people would one one guy asked me to suck his and I just was just like I was kind of over it at that point And I kind of felt like the level of of abuse was so bad that I just really did not know where to start, to be honest. So I suppose on some levels, while it's been very hard kind of admitting that you've let yourself be in those situations or that, I don't know, I think a lot of women, we blame ourselves or we internalise the hurt. It's not like I didn't say it to people or give out to people or over my 25 years. But I felt like my anger was somehow wrong or or used against me. You know, I was told I was angry and difficult. And so I've kind of learned that, you know, people who assault women and treat women, rape women, are dismissive, that they deserve our anger very much. Some people have been lucky not to experience abuse. Sally O'Dunling. I feel very lucky enough to say I have not experienced it or witnessed it firsthand. In my own personal experience, I've been very lucky. I will say that there are a lot of men who work behind the scenes, like this is just a fact. So the the, the broader issue for me over the years has just been I haven't seen anybody like me you know, behind the desk, for example, or as a mixing engineer or or so on and so forth. But on the on the other hand, I've I've also been lucky enough that the 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 men that I've worked with, and there have been a lot of men, have been very respectful towards me and I have felt very well taken care of, basically. However, that is that is only my experience that I can attest to. And I know that I have definitely heard uh stories from people and things that have happened to people. So it obviously is a thing that exists 
and something that does need to be addressed. I think people can sometimes be like, oh, why are you dragging down the tone of the conversation if you if you bring up that kind of thing? But there are a lot of things that can be done to actually prevent or, or, or deal with sexual harassment or just harassment of, of any kind. And I don't think it's specifically, it's it's not just gendered as well. That, that can happen to anyone. And it's really important that everybody feels comfortable and safe at venues. It's probably interesting with COVID that it's like people, that's the, you know, fear of COVID is the thing that has stopped people bothering each other so much because they don't want to like grope somebody or I don't know it's awful but shouldn't it shouldn't take a pandemic to, <laughs> to to make that happen but you know Covid had an enormous effect on musicians Ellen King All my gigs were cancelled which was like many artists devastating and there's all the things that you know go hand in hand with that the income loss everything you know, it's it's very disappointing. Now I have seen positive signs that things are picking up a bit again. People are inquiring about things again. I'm a bit more hopeful. Um, but definitely, especially in the first stages of the pandemic, it was very tough, I think, on artists across the board. Um, as well, uh, like income aside, not having an outlet and not meeting people and all the things that have been so widely spoken about. And then, of course, with Gash Collective, there was all the gigs we couldn't run. There was no chance of running a workshop and anything like that. Obviously, what was a great outlet that we were lucky to have is our radio show on Radio Nalifa monthly. That will always be going on. So that was really good. And especially last year, when people were really in the depths of lockdown, we had a lot of new people say they'd love to do a mix. People that just came out of the woodwork that were like, let us have a go. So that was great. Steve Accordia's mission, the leader of his Totio Gage Tucked Like Gash Collective Radio Nalifa. Age Liv Ashok, a Kian Nokanomade, Egg Shines Technical, Kyoto Nail, August Kyo Lecture Nakella, Tommy Munnam Wickham, Huntanavas. We did a festival called Isolate Festival, so I think in some way it kind of enriched us to like think about different ways that we can give offerings to people and like bring people together so we uh, did it with like a few different artists across the globe and uh, it came together in like the space of like five days it was so stressful I feel like when COVID hit I went into like freak out mode I was like how can we how can we like make sure that people are okay? Cause I'm not okay. And if I'm not okay, other people must not be okay as well. Like I'm super lonely and I craved nothing more than a dance. All I want to do is be in a room with people and dance. I guess the closest thing to that was like online DJ sets. Are you the last one? If alone in a room, your friends have all gone. You are so lucky. Oh, it had a quite a bad effect on me, I won't lie. A lot of the focus has been on uh, how people couldn't perform live. This wasn't really a huge uh, thing for me because I didn't perform live that often, largely because it's actually quite... <laughs> It's actually quite expensive to play live. Uh, as a solo actor, you, know, you pay for rehearsals. You generally tend to pay to play for a lot of things. And that's a whole other dis- discussion for another uh, 
documentary. So in that regard, it didn't affect me, but it, it affected me just on a personal level. I, I, I found I went through a quite a long period of depression. I found it very difficult to even write. And but yeah, it did have quite a profound effect on me. The only sort of positive thing I can say is that I did meet a new songwriting partner online during that time. And that's how I created the second kind of music act that I'm doing now, Scenes from a Break. So that was one plus for that. But yeah, it's been it's been difficult. For Laura, a recent DJing experience in Dublin brought a new way of doing things. A lot of clubs in Dublin have introduced these new safe space policies and I was playing in Tengu a few weeks ago and I have to say like what they've implemented there is really, really good. They have nighttime monitors instead of security. So these are people trained and employed by the venue. They don't have the same authoritarian thing that, you know, sometimes bouncers or security guards might have. And they're just around the floor, around the venue, and they have glow sticks on their arms. So if you have any issues or any trouble, you can go up to them and they can sort it out. So I just felt the atmosphere in the place was completely different, like any previous times I'd been in Tengu, you know, people were able to be much freer on the dance floor. To try to foster equality in the music industry, different organisations have been set up. Karen Miano spoke about Diadem Collective. So Diadem is like a co-op label that myself and Alexis and Proud and Jen and Mali, like we all kind of run together. So like there's no, there's no hierarchy if that makes sense. So everyone who's on the label also has like other talents. So you could be a producer, but then you also know how to like our camera up or something, or, you know, you also have like a creative vision for music videos and stuff. So I think that that really helps in terms of like how we work together is that like, we'll all push towards one person's thing. So at the moment it's like Alexis has released an EP. So we've all just been sort of like, pushing towards that. Gash Collective was set up on International Women's Day 2016. So we've been going for a, a good couple of years now. And basically the idea with Gash was to create a kind of collective of people that platforms emerging talent and minority talent around the island of Ireland. Um, specifically like femme, queer, people of colour, this is kind of what we're all about. Basically the non-traditional white male thing that has already overexposure. I think the thing that makes Gash a bit different from other collectives is a lot of collectives are like centred in one city. Like you see them in London, you see them in New York, wherever, and it's just there. But Ireland is really small and that you can really play that to our advantage. So you're very easily able to connect people across the island of Ireland. And we definitely did that, especially in the first couple of years, by running a lot of workshops for DJing and production all across the island of Ireland. And we were able to tap into local artists in different cities and 
they were able to help us out with workshops and teach in a very like practical way and kind of open it up for people that really wouldn't have had a chance otherwise and maybe they don't have access to the equipment or they don't feel comfortable in a very male environment and like we always promote having a very safe space for people where you can make loads of mistakes and ask questions that's totally fine all the festival lineups were mostly men all the gigs and events were mostly men so we were like okay how do we start combating this so yeah we just started running our own events and the first one we did was in Plugged in Cork with myself, Ellen and Colleen. And yeah, it was really good fun. And it was, yeah, packed out. And then because I had been running events in Galway, I just started running more Gash Collective events then. And we did a combination of booking international artists and then also local artists. And one of my main focuses from 2018 onwards was just giving opportunities to people who may not necessarily have gotten to play in a club environment before or had gotten many gigs. So just constantly trying to like seek out new people and kind of give them opportunities because I suppose the hardest thing is to break into the scene and get your name out there. So it was, we kind of did that through a few different ways. We had a Facebook group, so that was kind of a good place where people could chat to each other, but also that you could discover talent that maybe hadn't been on other people's radar. The main thing in the music scene is like visibility and like when you see more women on a lineup or when you see more LGBTQ plus or more people similar to yourself, then I think that inspires you then. In their work, Girls Rock Dublin empower young people. Sally is the director and she explains how they go about it. Girls Rock Dublin is a music camp. It's the first music camp of its kind for uh, those who identify as female or non-binary individuals. Not only that, but just to provide support and access and resources for those who might not have access to that in order so that they can become more involved in music and then start to play or express themselves through music in whatever way they see fit. And the whole idea behind it is it's a camp that lasts five days long. The participants come in, they try out instruments on the first day. We call this an instrument carousel. They pick an instrument that they're particularly drawn to and then they spend the rest of the week uh, learning the basics of that instrument. And then also at the same time, they're put into to groups, into bands, and each band will write a song, which then at the end of the week, they will perform for their friends and family. But yeah, I became involved in it in uh, in early 2018 and I've been volunteering with it uh, ever since. Primarily, I've been working as part of the core team just to help organise it. And then also during the camp itself, I work as a, a band coach. So that basically just means that I, I sit with the bands with another coach and just help to sort of gently facilitate <laughs> the process for the, for the participants. Because some of them are, are as young as maybe 12 and... It can be a bit intimidating as well. So you want to show them, make sure that it's a, an environment that they, you know, feel they can express themselves and do all of that. The impact that the camp had on me was pretty profound. Before that camp, I never thought that I would get on a stage and perform for people like that was that was just not happening. My anxiety would be too much. I just I couldn't it would, I, I just completely ruled that out. I just crossed that off. 
we've had a few like prior campers go on to study music in college, which is just like, that's so cool to me. I'm like, wow, they, they gain so much confidence. Part of the reason I, I love it so much is, is, is like, I would have killed for this as a teenager. I would have loved to be like, yeah, I'm going to start a band. Like, I'm going to make rock music or, you know, I'm going to make whatever kind of music I want. One of our other projects that we have going on at the moment is our gear library. So that's where people can um, rent instruments or gear like pedals or amps from Pier Street Library and Ballyfermot Library. Currently, there are two spaces that have that. So all you need is a library card and it's uh, it's for anyone who's under 18 and uh, it's completely free. It's it's really good if you want to, for example, test out a drum kit but don't have the money to do though. Or even if you're um, looking for like amps to put on a gig or, you know, that kind of thing. So we're really encouraging young people to use that. After Karen spoke out on stage in 2018, she organised a meeting and Fair Play was started. So then we had a meeting in Jury's Hotel and I just rode up, will we just meet? And a load of people showed up to the lobby and we kind of bandied around a name and what we would do. And, you know, really extraordinary uh, people. And then we kind of said, OK, let's let's really try and do something here. And then... We had a, another meeting with about six of us, uh, kind of a core group uh, set up. So then it kind of took off. Then it was just insane. We were on the phone, on WhatsApp, on text, on email all day, every day. And it was a very dynamic collection of women. And we got a lot of support, it has to be said, an awful lot of support But I suppose what I've learned over the years is that the people in power and the people in leadership, while they might be seen to be saying the right things and giving lip service to us, they really haven't come on board. So one of the first things when we started uh, Fair Play was we held an event in 2018 called Rising Tides, and that was in Liberty Hall. And we had a concert and a lot of panel discussions around sexual assault and harassment, representation. And it was really an amazing thing because we called a lot of people into, you know, one room and we had people from our organization and also outside people came like Ellen O'Malley Dunlop and Peter Cosgrove, who is an expert on inclusion and diversity in kind of in the corporate world. So that was really interesting and it gave us lots of food for thought to move on and and it kind of really helped ground us in the activism, I guess. Rape, culture and sexism are ingrained in our society and we know that from from, uh, the, the robust research and often we are unconscious of the messaging that is all around us. However, we are entering a new era in 21st century. There is an awakening happening where we are becoming conscious of these issues and starting to address them. We can all play our part by calling out the little slights, the innuendos, by checking ourselves as well as checking others. We had other gigs, like we had something in the National Concert Hall and we had a fair play day where we had sessions literally all over the world. They were in America and Australia and the Middle East and Russia and all sorts of places. Now what we're really doing at the moment and where our work has is focused 
is on lobbying the government to create a broad across the arts um, independent body with investigative powers that acts much like a HR department for people in the arts because currently like we don't have that we have no protection so if we could have somewhere where people could lodge their complaints um, and get them looked and addressed independently from the people that hire them it would really be a good start and when we started lobbying and working towards that we were kind of almost laughed out of the room. But actually, over the last year, more voices have come on board with that. And it's really begun to look like it could potentially be a possibility. What it really needs now is political will. Cautious optimism is something that Ellen feels towards the electronic music scene in Ireland. Um, I did feel a real change, especially kind of 2016 to 2018, in Ireland especially. I mean, I always say... There's more work to be done. It can always be better. Um, I think especially if you look at representing more people of colour on the lineups and more non-binary people, it can always be better. But I definitely have seen change, especially when I think about when I started DJing and nearly all the lineups were all guys and no one was saying anything. And now people are more vocal about it. I am seeing more diversity. I think festivals in particular are more aware of it now. I do still see things pop up, especially now in this like post-corona world um, where people are booking a couple of all-male lineups again that are very unimaginative and just big old headliners. So I am a little bit concerned about if that's, if people are going to, you know, go back to the old ways. But yeah, I have seen change and I do think there can be more done. But I will say something that I was always a bit disappointed about in while I'm seeing more and more in Ireland female DJs or, you know, non-male DJs. The number of producers is always a lot lower and there's always very, very few women getting into production, which always makes me a little bit sad. But I feel like with DJing, it's very quick to kind of the bulb goes off in your head and production takes a bit more time, really. And it's a bit more hit and miss. So I'd love to see more and um, more producers out there, more women, Irish women in particular, putting out records and stuff. Um, but yeah, slow and steady, I think. Pauline and Sally give their advice to young women, female identifying and non-binary musicians. Young women in the industry, find other young women in the industry and talk to them and help each other. You know, there is no merit or, you know, medals being given out for the amount of crap that you can put up with. And if you don't get crap, fine, brilliant, but just don't invalidate anybody else's experience of, of, I think we see a lot sometimes of people, oh, I've never experienced that, therefore it doesn't exist. If you've been lucky enough that you've sailed through and nothing terrible has happened, fantastic. I'm delighted to hear about that. But if, you know, not to invalidate other people's experiences, I think is a really, is a really important thing. But I would say, seek out other women and seek out the women in the organisations that are a feature in this podcast. And I would say to any female identifying or non-binary musician listening that just make the music that you want to make. Just just make the music. There will be an audience for it, you know, and so don't censor yourself. That's what my mum always says to me. Don't censor yourself. Uh, just be who you want to be and write what you want to write.
Equalisation was produced by Alan Meany. Narration was by Tracy Bruin. And it was supported by a grant from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland as part of the Sound and Vision Scheme. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed, you can get support from the Rape Crisis Network on 1800 77 8888.